Good morning. Appreciate uh, Stephen leading us in prayer. Enjoyed the uh, worship that we've already uh, experienced together. You know, uh, that song that we sang said, your name is life. Jesus is described as the living water. He's described as the bread of life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Today is celebration of life. It's a special Sunday once a year when we pause to realize that all of our little ones, all of the babies and the precious children that we have, they all came as gifts from the Lord. He's the one who breathed into Adam life. And so God is a God of life. We know that Satan comes to kill and to steal and to destroy. He's the one who takes life. And so I encourage you to be praying uh, for our nation that we would continue to be a nation that honors and cherishes life and not a nation that looks toward death. Psalm 139 verse 13 says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they're more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. You know, the Lord loves you. Your life is very valuable. It's very meaningful. I was uh, sharing a, a verse with my family last night in our family devotions from uh, Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 22. It says that the seeing, the hearing ear and the seeing eye, they both come from the Lord. If for no other reason, you should say thanks to your creator because you have an eye that can see today. I know looking at me is kind of hard, but anyway, you should thank the Lord that you can see all of the things that God has made. But hearing, the hearing ear. You know, I was listening uh, the other day to a podcast getting ready for tonight's message uh, from Proverbs on the hearing ear. And it is phenomenal when you think about how God designed the eye, but also how God designed the ear. It's amazing. I pray that today as I share the message that God has placed upon my heart, that you would listen, not just with physical ears, but with spiritual ears, because I believe that God has something that he will say. But I wanted us to first pause and to pray for our young, to pray for young families that are just getting started, to pray for a younger generation that's not even started having kids yet, that they will have in their mind a respect for human life and that our lawmakers and our states, our whole nation would say, you know what? We are grateful for all the babies that are born. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to celebrate life. We know that life, it comes from you. You are the life giver. Thank you so much for passages like Psalm 139 
They remind us that when we were in our mother's womb, you were the one at work knitting us together. Each, each person that is here, every boy, every girl, every woman, every man, they're so precious because you created them to be exactly who they are. And we thank you for that. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would help our nation, help our families to, to really look upon life as a gift from you, to cherish it, to respect it, to honor it, to also to look toward you as our creator. We pray for our lawmakers. We pray for our nation, pray for our states, that all across the United States, that abortion would go down and that births would go up. We pray that we would look into the eyes of those little children and realize that there's a God in heaven who loves us so very much. And so uh, you speak today, Lord, as we look into your word in the uh, letter to the Ephesians. I pray you would open up our hearts. Lord, let each person here know how does this relate to them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3? Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 13, and I want to uh, prepare you that you can relax. I've got the clock, so don't worry about the time. You let the Lord just speak. You focus on what God wants you to hear today, because I really believe with all my heart that God's going to speak. But He doesn't just speak during this time that we share together. He'll speak in Bible study that follows this time in small groups. He'll speak when you open up his word at home and you read it for yourself. When you have a family devotion time and you read a portion of God's word, God will be speaking. He is alive and he wants to talk to you. He wants to let you know who you are and how special you are to him. But he also wants to guide you as you go through your life. Ephesians chapter 3 um, is probably the most intensely personal section in this whole letter of Ephesians. I say it's intensely personal because Paul's going to open up and he's going to share something that God had convinced him of. Are you convinced of some things that the Lord is saying to you in your personal time? Well, Paul begins to pray for the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 1, he starts out, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. But he doesn't get to praying until verse 14. So he feels like he's got to circle back. And he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. So we'll look at that passage, Lord willing, in a couple of more Sundays. But I want us to spend two Sundays on what took place from verse 2 all the way down through verse 13. John MacArthur says that this passage is largely a parenthesis, which runs from verse 2 through verse 13. One of my professors, a New Testament professor at Southwestern Seminary, Curtis Vaughn, he said that this is an explanatory parenthesis. Much of it is in the form, he says, of a personal testimony. What was it that God had said to the Apostle Paul, that now he says, I got to share this with you. Oswald Chambers, I was reading a book by him. It's actually a biography about him called Abandoned to God. I recommend it to you if you're looking for a good biography to read sometime. 
But Oswald Chambers, uh, it says in that book that one of his favorite messages was called God's Parenthesis. It was just one sentence in the book. But ever since I read that sentence, I'm telling you, I see parentheses of the Lord all through Scripture. It's amazing how often He does this. You know, I'm a lifelong learner. I hope that you're a lifelong learner. And so I thought to myself, I wasn't good with English grammar, and I'm still not. So I wanted to go back to grammarians and try to find out what is the purpose of a parenthesis anyway. Do you know that a writer places additional information within a parenthesis that the reader most likely does not know, but most certainly needs to know? You know, it's uh, initiated by the author, but for the reader, have you ever been reading through and then there's a parenthesis? And it's like, I don't have time for that. So we're tempted to skip it, but I want to encourage you not to skip it. The more that I've read on what, what is the purpose, why did an author put that parenthesis in that book, in that story, in that, in that document, in that article anyway? It's an interruption for us. But for the author, he says, I need to clarify something. I need to amplify something. I need to explain something. And so that's why it's not wise to skip over it. You know, in Scripture, God often took his servants into a desert, and he would develop them. He would speak to them in the wilderness, in the desert places. And so it's like he has a purpose for why he places our lives in, well, let's just say it's like a parenthesis that we're about to read. During this parenthesis in Ephesians 3, Paul's going to be describing for us what was it that God showed him when he was in the parenthesis? What is God trying to say to you in your parenthesis? You know, maybe it's something you don't want to happen, but it's something that's happening. And so you need to say, oh God, what are you trying to tell me? Think about some of those that were in the desert for development. How about Moses? I bet he just knew what to do just like that. No, he didn't. He was in the desert, get this, 40 years. I don't know how long a parenthesis is, but I'd say that's about the longest one I've ever heard of. But you know, John the Baptist was in the wilderness before he came out preaching. How did he know what to say? He was in that wilderness time with God and God was speaking to him. David was on the run from King Saul. He was having to hide in caves. But I, I think if you were to check the Psalms, you would find that there were some Psalms that were only written because David spent time in a cave. You see, whenever God limits you, whenever you go through a hard time and you're saying, I don't understand, I would like to be doing this, but instead he's got you kind of like in a waiting room. But God's waiting room is not wasted time. There's something very important that he wants to say. If you were to look at Galatians chapter one, verse 17, you would see that the author of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul, spent time in the desert in Arabia, according to Galatians 1.17. I wonder what God was saying to Paul when he was there and nothing else was happening. He was just listening and just focusing on God. In each case, when those servants came out of the wilderness, they were focused. They were mighty. They had vision. They had conviction. 
They knew the message. They knew the direction. Once again, I'm trying to convince you that waiting on God, even if your parenthesis takes the form of a daily devotion each morning before you start the day, to say, before I get in motion, I'm going to stop. I'm going to listen to what God will say to me. When Paul was in the parenthesis, he was given revelation into something that he describes in the verses we're about to read as a mystery. Do you like mysteries? Most of us don't like mysteries. We'd rather know. But God says, no, this was a mystery for a long time. But then in the New Testament era, in that time frame, God began to say, now it's time to open up the secret, to allow people to understand the mystery. And so it's like God takes something that through natural knowledge, we would never figure it out. But now he opens our understanding through the Holy Spirit's inspiration. I just want to say, be careful when you say, God revealed this to me and God revealed that to me. I think that the canon of scripture, the Bible, is complete. The revelation of God is exactly the way God wants it. When cults begin, when people get off track, is when people begin to say, I have another revelation. And it doesn't match what God said, but I know that God has shown me. That's a dangerous thing to do. I would encourage you, rather than saying, God revealed this to me, to say, I, I had some illumination. God illuminates what's already been inspired and placed in his word. And that's what I am praying will happen as we look through this parenthesis today. It's a parenthesis that Paul's going to talk about. But I believe your parenthesis is going to have some similarities. So if you would res respect God's word and honor it enough to stand in honor of God's word, I want to read through this passage and then we will uh, ask God to bless it and we'll begin. Ephesians 3 verse 1 says, For this reason... I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose 
that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's ask the Lord to speak to us. Lord, we we bow our heads and we close our eyes today to ask you, please, would you illuminate your word? Would you help us understand how does this connect with us in 2023? Lord, we know that Paul was in a parenthesis. We know that you spoke to him and revealed to him. He was inspired by you. And so he wrote things down in accordance with what your Holy Spirit was saying. But I believe that the Bible is living. I believe that it's active, that it can connect with us in a very unexpected way. So maybe someone here is waiting on you for something and you're about to clarify it. You're about about to help them understand what you're doing. They may not get the answer, but they're going to know what you're up to. So speak to us today about your ways, your ways when you place us within a parenthesis. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want us to examine Paul's testimony to see what God said to him in the parenthesis, and I want you to consider what he may be saying to you in your parenthesis. I would like to summarize God's purpose in a parenthesis by taking these 13 verses and giving you six words over two Sundays. So just relax. First, remember that for the reader, a parenthesis, it interrupts. It doesn't just kind of slow you down. I mean, you're reading through the story and there's one sentence after another. Everything's flowing and then there's that parenthesis. It's going to stop you. Have you ever been stopped? We could view it as stagnation. You know, stagnation means it's no longer flowing. Stagnation means things were moving, but now they've stopped moving. There's a lack of activity. It could mean ceasing to run. When God slows you down, God's saying, listen to me. So if you want to cooperate with the Lord, then when he slows you down, say, okay, Lord, I'm listening. What do you want to say to me? So the first thing I want you to see is found in verse one. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. You see, the parenthesis at this time for Paul was an imprisonment. There he was in prison. And so it was like a parenthesis. You have to understand Paul's life up to this point. You see, Paul became a Christian in AD 34. He was on the road to Damascus. The Lord saves him. He goes through some pressure in Damascus. He's got to get out of there. So he goes to Arabia and he's in another parenthesis, but not this one in which he's writing at this time. He goes to Jerusalem. He goes to Tarsus. He's 10 years in Tarsus, I believe, serving the Lord. But then Barnabas goes and gets him and says, there's a new church in Antioch. We need you to help. That's in AD 47. The Lord places on their hearts, they need to take the gospel into other parts, uncharted areas. So they go on their first mission trip. They're gone for a couple of years. They return to Antioch. Whenever I'm asking you to consider this year, 
going with us to Japan, going with us to Nicaragua, we won't be gone a couple of years, okay? Just a week, 10 days, something like that. But I want you to know this guy was a man of motion. As a matter of fact, Bible scholars that put his life's chronology together say he traveled over 14,000 miles. This man was a mover. He's not used to sitting still, he moves. He also established 14 churches. He goes on a second missionary trip in AD 50. And when he's on the second missionary journey, that's when he starts this church, Ephesus, the church located in Ephesus. So he goes back to Jerusalem seven years later, AD 57, and he's arrested. He's arrested because he took a Gentile to worship. They falsely accused him of some things. And so he's in Caesarea for a while. They say, he says, I'm going to appeal to go and make my uh, case known to Caesar. So on the way, he gets uh, shipwrecked on an island of Malta. He arrives in Rome in AD 60. For two years, he's in a rented house. He's got guards around him. So that's wasted time right there, right? All that time, those two years, all that time he's in that prison. No, it's not wasted. And look at verse one and I'll show you why. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. You see, he's still in prison, right? But he's writing Ephesians. You know, as a matter of fact, Bible scholars say there are these prison epistles that Paul wrote, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. Let me just see a show of hands. Those of you who read the Bible, has God ever blessed you? Has God ever spoken to you through Ephesians, through Philippians, through Colossians, or through the book of Philemon? Would you just raise your hand? Look at that, all around us. So what if he had never been in that parenthesis? He had time to listen to God and God was inspiring him and he was writing it down. You see, God's first word to us may be, you need to slow it down. You're going awfully fast and you've stopped listening to me. I've got more to say to you. You know, it's interesting, Paul's perspective. Did you see, he doesn't say, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner, because of those old Pharisees and Sadducees and those Jewish leaders that brought false accusations against me. He doesn't say that, does he? He doesn't say I'm a prisoner of the Jews. He's there in Rome and he doesn't say I'm a prisoner of the Romans. Look at, look at his perspective on the parenthesis. He says, you know what? I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. God has a purpose in me being in this, this reduced time of activity. When I wish I could be running, I wish I could be moving, I wish I could be starting more churches, I wish I could be on the go. And the Lord says, no, you're right where I want you. Listen to what I've got to say. So Paul's listening and Paul starts writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But lest you think, well, yeah, but what about people being saved? Isn't that important? Shouldn't he be, you know, sharing the gospel? Oh, you, you don't know this part maybe, if you're thinking that. Some of you are way ahead of me. You say, I know where he's going. There was a priority, there was a passion. So you put, you put Paul in a hospital room, you know what? He's gonna share with all the doctors and nurses. You put Paul in a prison, 
He's going to share with every guard. Can you imagine those that are uh, chained to him? Say, have I told you about Jesus? And he said, you tell me about Jesus every time I get chained to you in here, you know. So anyway, I'm sorry. I just wanted to tell you the most important person in my life. But look at Philippians. Look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. This will kind of help you relax about your parenthesis. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment, here he comes again, is for Christ. Wow. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, in that I rejoice. You see his perspective, you see his passion, you see his parenthesis, none of that's wasted. So just know that if that's your life right now, you would rather be running, you would rather be on the go, but God has clipped your wings. And God has said, take a seat in the waiting room. I just want you to know there's a purpose and you better listen closely because others down the road, like all those that raise their hand right here, there's gonna be people down the road that someday they'll say, did that person ever impact your life? And in heaven, they're going to raise their hand. And you're going to say, I never knew that my life touched that many people. Well, I want you to listen as I share with you the second word. His next word to us may be a word related to navigation. Navigation. I think this is in verses two and three because Paul is going to disclose to us the direction that God placed his life. He said, you're going this way. I want you to go this way. Remember when Paul was going to Damascus? Remember why he was going there? He was going to persecute the, the Christians. He was going to arrest the Christians. And he was going to have them put in jail. But the Lord said, Paul, you're going in the wrong direction in your life. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to redirect you. And you're going to start going in the direction toward me. And as a matter of fact, you are going to take the gospel message to the Gentiles. That's exactly what the Lord did in his life. He redirected him. So the thing I want you to notice are just a few key words that are in verses 2 and 3. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me, by revelation, as I've written briefly. You know, I believe that God guides us through his word. How were the Ephesians going to know what God's will was for them? How are you going to know what God's will is for you? Well, there's a whole book here that'll help you understand what God's will is. And the more we get to know what God has revealed the more we're going to have assurance, I'm going in the right direction with my life. But not only that, he was given this specific direction, which God may give you specific direction 
of he wants him to share grace with those who are Gentiles because they felt left out. They thought, well, God selected the Jews. They were the chosen people, but God doesn't have a plan for all of us Gentiles. Well, God says, you know what, Paul? I want you to go and talk to the Gentiles. I want you to tell every people group, every people, every race, every tongue, every nation, I want you to go and tell them that through the gospel, they too can be in my family and they too can go to, uh, to heaven. But I want you to remind them that it's all gonna be by grace. You see, some here may be struggling with that whole thing and thinking, no, I'm sure I've got to work for it. No, you can't work for it. The hardest you can do being the very best person you could be in your family, in your career, in our community, it's great if you want to be a, a nice person and a good person and a friendly person and an upright person and a moral person. All I'm trying to tell you is that the Bible says the standard's too high because if you're going to get into heaven by your good works, you're going to fail because you've got to be perfect, absolutely perfect. And not only now, today, you've got to be perfect every day. You've got to be perfect all your life. You can't have a sin debt and still get into God's holy presence. Like we sang earlier, holy, holy, holy. That's who God is. He's not playing around about sin. That's why he said, you know what? I'm going to send Jesus because his life is perfect. And he's going to pay the price that all of those down there on the earth, they're all broken. They're all disobedient. They're all rebellious. They're all sinful. But I'm going to send him and out of compassion, he's going to die on the cross and I'm going to credit their account forgiveness. And it's all because of grace. See, I want you to look at the previous chapter, chapter two, verses seven through, through uh, nine, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So remember when I said to you earlier, there's gonna, there's gonna come a time when you're in heaven and God's gonna be saying, what's your testimony? And you're gonna tell all those people in heaven, you're gonna say it was nothing but grace that got me in here. Jesus died for me. It's, you, nobody's going to be walking around heaven saying, you know what? I did so much. You know, I deserve this place. I got here on my own. No, listen to what he says in verse eight of chapter two. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. See, Father, Father doesn't want anybody in heaven talking about what they did. The Father wants everybody in heaven talking about what Jesus did and say, look what he did for me. So I'm just thinking, thank you, Lord, that you pointed him in the direction of the Gentiles and said, you go and you tell him grace. But there's one last thing that helps you know the direction God wants you to go. The stewardship, the gifts. What is it that God has placed within your life, within your hands? What is it you're good at? Did that just happen? Did you just do that on your own? I'm not saying you haven't studied. I'm not saying you haven't worked. I'm not saying you haven't refined it and so forth. But somebody had to have given you the strength. Somebody gave you a good mind. Someone gave you opportunities in your life. And so whenever I hear Paul 
here saying in verses two and three, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship, there's an important word, of God's grace. And here comes that word given. That was given to me. Why? Why are you given grace? If you're given grace only to be saved, then why doesn't God just take you home right now? Now, I'm not asking him that, right? <laughs> okay, so don't worry. You know, if pastor's praying, I'll just be zipped up right now, you know? No, I'm not saying that. But all I'm saying is, why would he leave you here? You know what? There's someone. Just like Paul, God said to Paul, I want you to reach them. And so now he's writing to them. And he's saying, all of this was for you. Here's what God gave me for you. What is it that God has given to you? The life application commentary says that everything God gives us, abilities, skills, opportunities, health, insight, and so forth, it's for the sake of others. You see what God's trying to say? He's trying to say to Paul, your life has purpose beyond your own life. Your life has purpose beyond your life. You know what would have been really easy to do, right? Paul could have skipped prison. Why should he have to be in prison? He could have skipped prison. All he had to do was don't take the gospel over there. Don't go, don't go preach to the Gentiles because that's what got him in trouble. So all you have to do is just be quiet. Don't tell him about Jesus. Don't tell him about the gospel. Yeah, that would have been within his possibility of what he could have done. But here's the thing. If he'd have been quiet, then the Ephesians wouldn't be in God's family. Right now, those that he was talking with, they're all already on the other side in glory. So those Ephesians, those Philippians, those Colossians, those Corinthians, those Thessalonians, they wouldn't be in heaven today. If he'd have said, you know what? I believe I'm going to play it safe. And I'm just not going to say anything. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to put all this insight that God has given to me into uh, God's direction of missions and evangelism and outreach and, you know, developing disciples and so forth. What is it God's placed in your hand? You know, listen to him as we're starting a new year. I don't, I'm not interested in what happened in 2022 for you. I'm, I'm burdened about 2023. Are you saying to God, I'm listening. I know you've entrusted to me a whole lot. How can I put what you've entrusted to me in the direction of winning, of building, of discipling and mentoring and training and teaching and influencing others for you and for your kingdom? That's what I want you to be listening really closely for because I believe God's got direction, navigation. And if he's made your life sort of stagnate, it's kind of slowed down from the way it normally was, don't you know there's a reason for that? He's trying to say, I've got something better for you. That's why I've slowed everything down so that you can listen to me. I want us to stand together. I'd like to give a you know, uh, opportunity for people to respond. It could be somebody would say, man, I'm like the Apostle Paul. I've been going on the wrong direction. I'm headed on the wrong road. But you know, God's intercepting me. And he's telling me he wants me to trust him. He wants me to surrender to him. Because the Apostle Paul, I mean, he did an about face. 
We call that repentance. I mean, he, he turned, he was going one way, and he had to turn and go the exact opposite way to follow Christ. Will you trust what Jesus did for you on the cross? Will you trust what he has written for us so clearly in his word? Whatever it is that God is doing in your life, just know that he's sovereign and he's just trying to get your attention to say, this is where I want you to invest your life in 2023. So let's pray. And then if you need someone to talk to, I'd be glad to, to pray with you. But I want you to know that there's not a lot of time whenever people come forward here. So what we can do is we can say, okay, let's meet at another time and we'll talk even further about what you're sharing uh, today. So let's pray together. Lord, there could be someone here and they sense the conviction of the Holy Spirit. They know that like the Apostle Paul and like Victor Morrison and like every person in this room that's already saved, all of us were on the wrong road at one time. And so the the amazing thing is that you, you intercepted us. You stopped us. And you said, you're going awfully fast, but you're going in the wrong direction. And then they surrendered. We surrendered. I surrendered. Others in this room have already surrendered. But someone here may not have ever surrendered to you. And so they need to let you guide them. And so help them know that this whole process could be about them turning over the the steering wheel of their life to you. So help them be willing to do that. But you speak to us whatever life situations we're going through and we give it to you in Jesus' name, amen. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas.